death as the last few corpses lay rotting on the slimy thoroughfare. The shutters lifted an ancient entrance building high on Boucher's Hill, and red mutant eyes gazed down on Hunger City. Mr. Anderson, that is the sound of inevitability. It is the sound of your death. Goodbye, Mr. Anderson. Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole, Space Pod. In the anticipation of our Diamond Dogs episode, which you'll be listening to next week, we're going to do a little chat quickly about our top five dystopias. And uh, the criteria here is just any kind of uh, current or future vision of a, uh, a dystopia that's a terrible hellscape to live in. Or maybe maybe it's a, a great land on the surface that's something darker underneath. It could be a, a, a book, a movie, an album, a comic, anything. It's wide open. What I always like to do is put Eric in the spot. Eric, number five, <laughs> your fifth. And I, I do understand. I do realize this is kind of odd to say. What's your favorite dystopia? It's kind of like saying, uh, you know, what's your favorite, you know, body part to smash with a hammer? They're not supposed to be. <laughs> not supposed to be favorites. But uh, anyhow, uh, yeah, of course. Go ahead. So you know, thinking about it, um, the. Uh, dystopia versus post-apocalyptic i do think of the same thing but the more i think about it i'm like huh maybe dystopia is more like government crushing you under their boot kind of future while post-apocalyptic is like the bomb's gone off and the survivors are picking up the pieces kind of thing i don't know maybe not but uh with that in mind i'll definitely put uh terminator in my number five slot um the Terminator series has its ups and downs and uh, the first two movies and the TV show somehow being the high watermarks. Um, they created a, a, in, you know, an unforgettable future vision and a, uh, a, a time travel <laughs> premise that's always resetting the main storyline to the point where the present doesn't really even matter. Um, but uh, I do I, I do love that first movie and that second movie. But really, just the uh, ideas behind that first movie are wonderful. So uh, gonna well, go throw Terminator in. You stole my number five. Ah, and perfect. Yeah, mainly when I, I one of my go tos is the opening, uh, the, the foot crushing the skull in Terminator Two, and um, also thinking of Linda Hamilton and her nuclear vision dream. Uh, again, that's post-apocalyptic, but still does that. Uh, yeah. The themes of Terminator and the resistance in the future, trying to save the world today are, are they're, they're definitely up there for my favorite dystopian fiction. Oh, yeah. um, and also 
I think that was it gets bonus points because Terminator 2 seemed to be a rated R movie that we were all allowed to watch even though we were too young oh yeah that was kind of like the rule of thumb for Schwarzenegger movies was like his movies were R but uh, you know they were good for kids too <laughs> yeah and and also you know on a music podcast we'd be remiss not to mention that the kunk is one of oh, the yeah. greatest works of uh, humankind oh yeah so Mark, have you ever heard of the Terminator movies? I have. And in fact, um, I, I heavily considered uh, putting uh, Terminator on there, but I knew that either one of you was going to put that. And I was thinking most likely Steven uh, was going to do that. And I wasn't wrong. Um, the reason, uh, some, something in that similar vein. So my number five is also a movie that uh, involves time travel in trying to prevent, uh, you know, a dystopian post-apocalyptic event from happening, and it's Twelve Monkeys. Oh yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, Twelve Monkeys, Terry Gilliam film. Um, so good. And it's it's a great visual uh, piece of work. Um, instead of machines taking over, it is uh, a virus that was set loose by a. Uh, I don't know, a gorilla underground, uh, crazy bunch of terrorists. And uh, Bruce Willis's character is, has to go back in time and, and try to find the event that uh, was the catalyst for the virus that wiped out pretty much all but 1% of the human population. It's a good film. Uh, it's a puzzle box. Uh, it zigs when you think it's going to zag. Um, but it's a very entertaining film. I'm a big fan of Brad Pitt's performance in that movie. Yeah, that was one of the ones where I first started to realize this Brad Pitt guy can do a lot of different stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. yeah, he's great um, in that. Did you guys ever watch that TV show? Did not. a TV show? I, I yeah, didn't know there that. was. Yeah, exactly. It was like, like, <laughs> year, it was like a year or two ago and got canceled pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I did not see it myself. Uh, that that movie also has a great theme song. That uh, that music box monkey circus music theme. Yeah. So, yeah. Great stuff. All right. Yeah. Well, I already had mine taken care of. So, Eric, back to you. Number four. Right. Well, no. Now more on the uh, post-apocalyptic tip. Uh, a zombie future uh, must be discussed when discussing uh, this genre. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't go too crazy into the, into the zombie flicks, just only in the sense that they've been kind of overdone, but there are some true classics and gun to my head. I wouldn't be able to pick in between 28 days later or, um, the original Dawn of the dead as my favorite of the zombie, uh, zombie, uh, Dawn of the dead, the original one. Yeah. The mall, the Romero. Okay. Yeah. Ma, uh, uh, mall movie that was just so great because it just the world just feels so lived in even though he explained like almost nothing to what happened and why um and it's just i love the idea that like the whole you know when the whole world's dead people still find ways to kind of have fun and create their own you know they want to have a civilization even if it's just four people in a mall um i don't know anyways i'm a fan of that one
there you go. Yeah, uh, it's also the, the the remake is one of two of Zack Snyder's only watchable movies, in my opinion. Yeah, it's not bad, um, but I do really enjoy that original one. It uh, has a lot to say about uh, consumerism. Just uh, it's probably one of my classic all-time favorite zombie movies. I don't have any zombie films on my list. Um, I thought about it, but I think that you're right. We're in market saturation when it comes to zombie films right now, or zombie right. just works yeah. of art. So I, I think I'm a little fatigued on on that sense of dystopian fatigue, as Sarah would put it. Uh, right. Friend right. of the show, yeah. Sarah Hodge. Ten, ten years from now, I may have there may have been a good zombie thing that came out recently that I just ignored that that I'll maybe discover. But for now, I'm just going with the uh, the classics there. So great job. <laughs> so my number four. Thank you, Mark. Are, are we? Uh, yeah. No, what I, is I'm it? I know. I know. You just your 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 great job. I appreciate that encouragement. But anyways, <laughs> sometimes uh, sometimes uh, I love it when Mark uh, is very much the uh, just the facts and just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll give you uh, high high marks for that. Uh, you're a scholar of dystopian. You know, you, you hit your you hit your target there, son. Oh, okay. Um. Uh, unless I'm stepping on your number four, did you want to go since you went second there? No, let's keep going. Sure. So in my number four, um, it's an animated film, and uh, just to give you a little bit of uh, a teaser here, all of my five top five dystopias only come from the film media medium. I don't. I didn't pull from any comic books. I didn't pull from any other works of music or anything like that. And uh, y- yes, Year Zero is off limits for this discussion. Yeah. So it'll come as no surprise. Uh, these guys obviously know I'm a fan of uh, of Disney and Pixar, but my number four is Wally. Oh, that's a good choice. Uh, if you're not familiar with the plan, uh, plot of that, it's the Earth is so toxic with all the accumulated waste, uh, all humankind has left Earth because they've trashed it. It also became uh, run by a mega corporation, BNL, standing for by and large. Uh, which endorsed consumerism and uh, dependency on technology in order for just more of a convenient way of living until they lost themselves and became these pudgy cartoon characters who don't even know how to walk. Um, it's uh, it's a it's not a dark movie in that sense because um, it is more of this adventure story of a robot that looks like Johnny Five from Short Circuit, uh, but it is my actual favorite Pixar film uh, because there's just a lot of topics that are quite important it's it's a great film yeah it's like yes, a it, analogy it, it, for what walmart costco and amazon kind of all wrapped into one it's, it's good definitely. Uh, since it since that movie came out what 10 years ago 12 uh 2008 i want to say okay yeah we're definitely uh we, we've made great strides into making that movie a reality since it even came out <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's heavy material if you think about it for a kid's movie, but uh, it's a solid, solid piece of film that could be a, uh, a warning if we don't change our act. Yes. A plus uh, Mark. A plus. I feel like we keep getting, we keep getting <laughs> warned. And nothing, we keep getting warned and it doesn't seem that anybody makes any changes. Yeah. Yep. Anyhow. Uh, my number four, this is a very Steve choice. Eric probably anticipated me doing this, is the band Dystopia. Oh, uh, nice.
uh, Dystopia was a they were a, a grindcore crust punk crust punk group from Southern California. They only released a handful of albums. Uh, they were they were a three piece, and uh, a lot of their their themes were basically if you took the you took anything that the Dead Kennedys sung about and then turned it up to eleven, that would be a Dystopia song. Um, their best album was called Humans e- Human Equals Garbage, and uh, you know. All, all all their tracks are basically about environmentalism and uh, you know, animal rights and uh, very, 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 they were social justice warriors, if you will. And right. uh, their first record, I believe the same one, humans equals garbage. I has a warm spot in my heart for being good, but also it has uh, some samples from river's edge, which was uh, filmed in Sacramento with our friend Keanu Reeve. Wow. That's right. Friend of the show, Keanu Reeves. Who's most yeah. likely going to show up uh, maybe later on my list. I was hoping, right. I knew he was going to show up on somebody's list, so I didn't put, yeah. put it on mine. Yeah. But uh, yeah, d- Dystopia. It's, uh, they're, they're definitely not for everyone, but if you, if you, if you want a blast of a, a three-piece rage that the songs clock in at, oh, I don't know, 30 seconds to two minutes tops, there you go. Yeah. You, I'll have to check choice. them out. I've never heard of them. Uh, I mean, I've heard of them, but I just never listened to them. So I'll have to check them out. Yeah, they were they were definitely uh, something I learned of from the record sco- store years. So yeah, for a genre that can be kind of samey, they had a distinct sound. I, I would say that it was always kind of moody and dark, and uh, they got their point across just fine. So I'm into it. I got to uh, I saw them when they reunited. It was uh, at the Gilman, which was fitting. And boy, howdy, did that place smell like urine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. Not a bug. 40 years a year, and thank you very much. 40 years. All right, Eric. Yep. So mine is a comic book. Um, uh, ask me, uh, well, my runner up for comic books would have been a uh, friend of the show, Rob Sheridan's uh, high level. I've been reading it. Every issue is better than the last. I, who knows what the future holds for that book, but when it's all said and done, it could be my number one as far as dystopian comics go, but I'm going to go with uh, why the last man is all a, right. is a, is a, uh, is a very engrossing read for, a kind of end of the world type situation, um, you know, end of the patriarchy at least, uh, with uh, only one supposed man left alive. And uh, I'm, uh, anyways, big fan of that book. It's funny. It's uh, action packed. It's got some things to say politically and, uh, you know, about uh, 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 gender relations and such like that. But uh, it's a it's a great read and uh, highly recommended. Uh, written by Brian K. Vaughn. And yes, art, art guys, mainly, help me with the art. <laughs> yes, mainly the artist is usually a Pia Guerrera, I believe is how it's pronounced. Okay, yeah, some other artists fill in. Yeah, but uh, well, you definitely yeah, got me into that book by loaning me the first few, and then I when then we moved to to uh, Washington State, and I had to finish the rest up on my own. But a great, great book. Yeah, pretty good story. Typical, like a good Vertigo comics run for a while. There it was about sixty issues, and that was one of them. And uh, Mark, did you ever read through that one? No, I haven't. No. Yeah, it was 
so the all the men die. There's just one man left, and the mystery of why it happens is a, a lot of the story. And he's wandering around what's left of the United States, uh, bumping into camps of, of survivors. And it's also going to be a TV show because what isn't? But that's yeah. been in that's been that's been in production since uh, like George Bush was president. So I don't know when we'll ever see it. If it's, I mean, the preacher was always in a stop and start production until it finally got off the ground. Was it kind of like in that same sort of purgatory? Yes. Yeah. So it might, it might actually happen. We'll see. But yeah. I would say, why the last Hopefully man is way more, more, way more filmable than preacher. So the fact that preacher happened and, and it hasn't is, is kind of interesting. My number three, um, another film. I, I did kind of think about this one a little bit because uh, in my mind, I made myself like a litmus test of what would be on my list versus what wouldn't be. So my number three is a film. Uh, it was a Korean film by the name of Snowpiercer. Um, it's basically uh, a civilization that stars Chris Evans, old Captain America. Tilda Swinton's in, the, in, in there too. It really, it's a, it's a movie that really reminds me of uh, if a film adaptation of the video game Bioshock ever took place. Um, that w is what it would protect in my mind is what it would look like. I can Re see that. The reason I didn't put Bioshock on here, cause um, I feel that the whole events of Bioshock happens in one single society rather than civilization as a whole. So Snowpiercer, they have to essentially just travel around on this train because as they were trying to reverse the, um, the effects of global warming uh, went horribly wrong and all life on earth was frozen over. And so the only way that they can survive is to basically be on this train. The train is separated into class systems and uh, there's a big uprising from the back of the train. And as they're moving to the front of the train, Chris Evans is leading that. It is a very dynamic and uh, very entertaining uh, film. I mean, it all takes place in a train uh, but it's clearly a very, it's a thinker and with plenty of action. Um, There's something but, going uh, on there too with like upstairs, downstairs and like class warfare and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I really, really like the world that uh, that whole story was very just in, engaging for me. I loved it. What's that a uh, director's name? Boon, Boon Jong Ho. Uh, Boon Young Kim, Kim or something like that. It, yeah, something like well, that. I, butch I butchered that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hear you. I know. Yeah. Um, I probably butchered it as well. I don't know what else he's directed. I, well, I think I, it's one of the things. I honestly think I've only read his name. I don't think I've ever heard it pronounced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, I, you've, I, been, you've inspired me to want to watch that again. I've only seen it the one time when it first came out. So, I mean, it really like stuck with me. I mean, like I remember I've seen it twice and I remember it just really stuck with me as uh, as I was kind of researching some of the stuff on dystopian films. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. I don't know why that I, I, I didn't immediately think to that one. So nice. Snowpiercer, number three. Well, this is a Tilda Swinton's basically a, a patron saint of our of our show now. So exactly. And that also is going to be or was a TV show. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think it is going to be a TV show. I think so. I don't think it's been released, but I do think something is in production. So my number three is a comic book as well. Uh, my first mind was to uh, go over Transmetropolitan, which if this podcast was done 15 years ago, definitely would have been in my list. 
uh, it is a good, they, 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 that, that book deals heavily with a lot of the stuff we see now with the politicians, but set in a world that's basically, uh, I don't know, Hunter S. Thompson meets uh, the Jetsons. But uh, yeah. now the one I'm going with is a book called East of West. Hmm. And Eric, you you might have read some of it, right? Oh yeah, I'm on I'm on a uh, book six right now. I love it. Okay. Yeah, and it's written by Jonathan Hickman, and the art is by Nick Dragota, and they're the only two. the The, the whole run is by them. They're co creators, and it's a it's a society. It's a world where the 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 nations have broken off into tribes like five great tribes that are basically nations, but they're also for lack of a better term, maybe crime families. And they, well, and, and, and you have to, they, they broke apart back at the end of the civil war too, which is what you have to factor in there. Yeah. Too. They have the alternate history and there's, there's, there's imagery of like the Confederacy and a lot of native American imagery. And it's, it's very hard. I think it's kind of difficult to explain it. But when you read it, it's, it's it's telling a grand epic tale. Sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's always so interesting that you don't care if you absolutely understand what's going on. Because often there's a lot of uh, apocalyptic prophecy talk and there's the four horsemen of the apocalypse have take flesh and are major characters of the story. And there's even a father and son uh bonding story buried in all this it's a it's a great it's a great comic book i think it's gonna it'll probably run about 60 issues by the time it's done i think it's ending next year uh it's a it's definitely a dystopian rock opera on paper hickman comes from the grand morrison world of he comes from the Grant Morrison world of storytelling uh, where it doesn't sometimes doesn't make a lot of sense, but when it needs to, it does. And there's a good emotional kick to it. Also, he did a great Avengers run um, for like a few years that climaxed in what was it? Uh, Infinity War that I that I, I think was super satisfying. But uh, yeah, uh, East of West is fantastic. No, it was the Secret War. They're all all the names oh, are the same. Yeah, there you go. But no, no, no Infinity West War was also, the movie. No, you're right. You're right. The art, the art by Nick Dragota is so amazing. It's a very clean line. He's really good at telling uh, storytelling from panel to panel. And he has a, a, a heavy Japanese influence. And I, uh, it actually almost looks kind of like if you were to take uh, manga and mix it with Calvin and Hobbes, uh, the, the artwork. It's, it's something. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I am. I guess I gotta. Uh, I guess I could. If I had to pick one John Carpenter dystopian film, I think I have to go with They Live. It's just. Oh it's just yeah, so, damn. It's so a good one, man. So damn fun. So damn fun. And it, that one's not like end of the world dystopian, but it's right there where the mind control and the and the overlords are starting to take over. 
And yeah, uh, it's right on the precipice of what would come before the dystopia. Yeah, yeah, right. it's right. probably what we're living through right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's like, oh, it's just it's it's it, at times completely ridiculous. Uh, I mean, it's been it's been spoofed in media, you know, South Park and many other things. Just, uh, but it's 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 a lovely lovely movie. Great great music. Uh, Roddy Roddy Piper is is uh, who knew who knew. May he, he rest in peace. I, I, I loved him just to, in that movie. And just in general, I was always a fan of his. And Keith, yeah. uh, I didn't pull it out for air. David as his buddy. Is, <laughs> is fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you like, they live over escape from New York. So that's, that's what I was kicking around. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. I think I like it as a movie better. I think it tells a much more clear story, but I love getting lost in Escape from New York when I watch that too. I love just falling into that world also. But I don't think the I don't think the story is as strong in that one. So Yeah. That's a fun one, but I think I'd have to just detract a little bit of points from just because of Escape from LA was it actually made. <laughs> um, so <laughs> oh, come on with that soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. It was rocking. Yeah. Oh, there's like I the thought... worst CGI in that one with uh, where he's like surfing somewhere. Like, oh yeah, I always <laughs> yeah, think yeah, of that really... image. Yeah, <laughs> I thought Mark was gonna say. I thought Mark was gonna say, "Was it tough for you to choose between they live in hell comes to Frogtown?" Because that's definitely on. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was Roddy Roddy Piper's other movie, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and you're correct. Yeah. So my number two uh, is uh, the Matrix films. Even though I know that uh, they they tend to slide in quality, um, ebb and flow in quality, but for pound for pound, they're still enjoyable films. I mean, uh, I think it really was the resurgence of the Keanu Sans that we're living in now. Um, people look back on that uh, era with fond memories and nostalgia and... Uh, I remember being blown away in 1999 when the Matrix first came out because that was the year that Star Wars was going to be released a couple months later. And, you know, people were thinking that Star Wars was just going to come in and uh, just blow the doors off everything. And then the Matrix was released two months prior. And that was the film that everyone talked about. Um, and uh, it was revolutionary for its time. It was, uh, I remember me and Steven, and uh, we had an English teacher and she was like a, you know, hippie you know, really into Joan Baez and she absolutely loved this film. She treated it as an allegory for Alice in Wonderland. And, you know, it was kind of surprising. So this movie and these set of movies uh, did touch quite a broad audience for all of the different concepts that was really given, given you. So the matrix number two. Yes. Mrs. Summers was also a David Bowie fan, as I've said in this show before. And I've also said in this show before on some of our uh, about six months ago or so No, sooner than that, it was earlier this year that we discussed when I revisited the entire trilogy for the first time all the way through 
how impressed I was with the quality and it was not nearly as a bad part two wasn't as bad as I remembered. And part three was better than I was ever told. Right. Yeah. I think, um, time has been treating matrix revolutions a little bit better. Uh, on initial impact, I think a lot of you, a lot of the audience were like, I don't know what is going on, you know? So I think that, uh, over time it's, uh, it's aged like a fine wine. Well, the way I, I love, I yeah, love the I, matrix. I, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, I, yeah, I, same, same thing. One is apex two has some great scenes, but dips a little bit. And then three ends strong. And I actually had given up on the series initially. I never watched three until very recently. And I was, I was very happy. I did. Yeah. Same here. And I often, when I'm debating the quality of movies or television, with anybody if i get lost in a plot or there's plot holes if there's a good performance that engages me i'll forgive a lot and i think that the uh i actually think the supporting cast in those movies is great and it definitely um the agent agent smith you know in the third movie he does he's he's a very big part of it and that's why i really enjoy quite a bit of that third movie. Yeah. Hugo weaving does actually a lot of the heavy lifting that he doesn't get enough credit for, uh, for some of these films. Definitely. He can definitely act with his lips in sneering. He's mastered sneering. (laughs) Yeah. He looks like, uh, Sam Neill, uh, like a version of Sam Neill for me. I don't know what it is, but they were definitely off the same assembly line. They are friends and they've actually, yeah, they're they're Australians and they're friends, and they've actually been mistaken for each other like at awards before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that warmed my heart to hear that. Yeah, no, it's definitely. <laughs> uh, Sam Neill's actually on Twitter quite a bit promoting his wine. He's always wearing a straw hat. I love that man. I think he's a farmer. <laughs> I think he I think he often talks about ranch Human life. Beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague, and we are the cure. So my number two, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. Oh man. Yes. That would be the, uh, the opening lines of the first book of the dark tower series and the dark tower series. It has alternate realities, different uh, travels through time, but very much of it is in a dystopian future world where psychic vampires are trying to basically kind of like the matrix use the human populace as batteries for something more nefarious. Um, it's, it's, it's a great, all those novels, there's seven of them, I believe eight of them. There's eight novels and the main storyline is seven of them. They also get touched on in other Stephen King books, but, uh, the, the, the overall scope 
of that saga when I think of the end times and people trying to stand against the end times, it is definitely one of my top tier and uh, everyone's opinions on the, the quality overall vary. I think that at the end of the day, when you, when you stack them all up, it's much more good than bad. And it's a, it's, it's, even though it takes a hell of a long time to read through those things, I've, I've read the first half of it many times. I've only read the entire saga once all the way through. Yeah, me too. uh, Yeah. But you, you, those books one through four, especially book four, uh, they can stand up against any other book you want to put against them. Yeah. Um, book four, uh, that one time when I was trying to go through the saga for the first time, that was my, uh, it was like a wall because it was a prequel story and I wanted the, the story to progress. And then I started over after a couple of years of putting it on hold. And when I did my run through wizard and glass was absolutely a phenomenal book. Um, that's book four. And because it does give you a little bit more of that backstory and that more of that world building that needed to be done. Uh, because one through three is basically them just trying to traverse through the hellscape and the wastelands and things like that. Um, I haven't the, read gathering the unity. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read Wind through the keyhole. Um, cause I know that's another prequel story and I, I, I I'm not purposefully uh, avoiding watching the Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey movie. I've heard it's not good. Um, but I'd still be interested to see it. It's just, I not enough time in the day to do it. Um, I was going back and forth between adding the dark tower, but I just tried to just limit it down to films, the dark tower, the stand, both of those were, were big runner ups for this list. I know I probably should have varied it up, but I think film for me is just always more representative, uh, for my taste of just being able to see that dystopian vision instead of imagining it. But that's yeah. just my own character flaw. The, some of the books where they're going through the, re- the remains of whatever's left of the world has some of the best imagery I've ever read on the printed page. Yeah. And I know Stephen King. We're actually in the middle of a Stephen King renaissance as far as the uh, uh, mass media is concerned. Uh, decent movies, uh, pretty good TV shows being made. And, but when you look at his writing, he is, you know, meat and potatoes a lot of time. But when the guy needs to like come up with a phrase or a scene that sticks with you, I can, there's just so many scenes throughout those books. Uh, the bet, the, the game of riddles with the, the crazy train, the, uh, the, the battle against, uh, like a, a giant bear that's lost its mind from maggots that have been harvesting in his cranium for decades. Yeah. Uh, the, in book four, the final kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's a battle, but also it's a race and also they're hurting, horses or something at the end of wizard and glass, that whole scene. Uh, it's a, just a, or in the fifth book, there's, there's a final battle on that book that involves a bunch of Dr. Doom robot looking crazy guys that uh, just, uh, it's all very, very the way, the way, the way it's drawn, the, the way it's presented, it's just very memorable. And, uh, I, I go back to the first, sorry, go on. I was going to say just the man in black himself is such a striking character. He's basically the man with no name from Sergio Leone movies. And if you were to, to, to make him a cosmic time traveler, that's what he becomes uh, a space cowboy, if you will. And there, there's some times where when he sits down and speaks, everybody, he doesn't, he goes through the majority of the story saying as little as possible, but when it comes to time for him to interact with others, it's just very arresting. 
Uh, I, I love that character. And they're making a TV show of it on Amazon. And they're starting with The Wizard in Glass, which is a prequel. But there's also going to be uh, present day scenes. And the guy that got to play the man in black, Roland, in the present day scenes is, oh, help me out, Bronn from Game of Thrones. So, oh, shit. Yeah, that's right. He looks the part, I tell you. Yeah. What are you saying, Eric? I was just going to say, um, I haven't finished the series yet. I, I'm, I just finished Wolves of, of Kala. But um, the... Uh, this, what always strikes me is when I first started reading it, I was always a Stephen King fan. I just had never read the series and I'd just gone through like a spaghetti Western phase. So I knew I'd like them. The time was right. And when you, without knowing anything about the books, when you start reading them, you really don't know if it's supposed to be an alternate earth or just like another planet in general, like who knows until he goes to this town and somebody's playing like the Beatles on a piano. And you're like, oh shit, there's something here. There's some connection to our world. And uh, I love that. That that little reveal there, I just always think about that, and of course yeah. the lobstrosities. <laughs> yeah, they're playing Hey Jude. The gunslinger had known magicians, enchanters, and alchemists in his time. Some had been clever charlatans, some stupid fakes, in whom only people more stupid than they were themselves could believe. But there had never been a shortage of fools in the world, so even the stupid fakes survived. In fact, most actually thrived and a small few actually able to do those black things of which men whisper. Those few could call demons and the dead, could kill with a curse or heal with strange potions. There's a man going round taking names and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. The hairs on your arm. There you go. All right, our number ones. All right, so mine is also a, a, a comic book. I just love the way that time and the end of the world is portrayed in comics. And mine is a Marvel comic book written by Mr. Rick Remender, and it is his run on Uncanny X-Force. It, um, though it takes place in present time, the, he also does a take on the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and all the various dystopian X-Men futures kind of are coming to a head, and... This like group of black bag mutants are the ones that can stop it. And it all comes down to a question. If you could kill this person that's supposed to bring on the end of the world, would you do it? And the consequences of that follow them over the series. And it really is like a, it's really an anti-violence, a pacifist manifesto. It's, it's an amazing story. I'm a big fan. So uh, yeah, and, and the, the germ of it, the heart of it is definitely the old storyline, Days of Future Past which is a classic X-Men story right. of uh, somebody gets killed in the present that splits off a, a, a very bad uh, future that's bad for mutants and Kitty Pride and Wolverine are trying to get things back to how they should be in a Terminator the time travel type style. Right. Yeah. And uh, that, was, that was adapted in the cartoon and then they adapted it in the movie Days of Future Past which is one of the 
you know, how many X-Men movies are there? There's are like 20, but three of them might be watchable. That's one of the better right. ones. Right. Yeah. I've reread I've re that run now three times, and it, I just appreciate it more every time I read it. It's a, it's a good one for me. All right, Mark. So my number one, uh, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Uh, tax ships on fire. <laughs> Off the shoulder of Orion. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, of course, Blade Runner. Um, that movie and, of course, Blade Runner 2049, um, which I think is a very fitting sequel to that film. Mm -hmm. It is uh, definitely belongs on the top 100 American Film Institute, top films of all time. Uh, the movie is a, uh, it's a masterpiece. It's got some uh, film noir elements sci-fi and of course this, this dystopian nightmare that you know artificial intelligence can live amongst us and we don't even know it and we're basically you know questioning who is human and who is not and it, it's just a it's, a it's a heavy film uh with amazing imagery and for its time and to be released in 1982 um i mean the effects hold up to this day uh i love uh, Edward James almost his last his last line uh, that he's that Deckard um, thinks as he's running away with Sean Young and uh, 2049 is almost like a tone poem for crying out loud it's uh, it's a it's a little more art I want to say more artistic but it's a more um, it, it's instead of a, a narrative that's pushing it it really takes this time to be more reflective and um, it, just two solid films that uh, just really do it for me. Yeah, I, was, I, I was so happy with the sequel being the quality it ended up being. And uh, yeah, that, that movie from, I mean, it basically created cyberpunk, which is what a lot of these stories get echoes of. And it's a visually arresting film. It's well acted. And the soundtrack is just something. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, being a huge fan of Battlestar Galactica, the remake, I do love that they had to have Edward James Olmos from Blade Runner in mind when they cast him in that remake of the TV show for yeah. Battlestar Galactica. Um, yeah. No, it's a, that's a movie I probably only watched all the way through maybe five times, if that. Mm -hmm. But I still, I still would consider it like a favorite movie. I mean, Rector Hauer, his performance as Roy Batty is just something else. It, I mean, it really is. And from what I understand, um, I'm a big fan of uh, Christopher Nolan, and he used Batman Begins. Um, almost as a he gets the cast together whenever he f starts to shoot a movie and he says this is kind of our template that we're going to be working with uh, I know that in some I can't remember which movie but I, it could have been Memento that he showed the cast and crew uh, the wall uh, for this one he showed um, you know Blade Runner for The Dark Knight he showed Heat and oh, uh, Interstellar yeah, and Interstellar, I believe he showed um, 2001, obviously. Uh, but yeah, he's always, you know, pointing out to some of his influences and wants to kind of have that same template and tone 
I think it's pretty cool. That's great. Yeah, well done. All right, my number one is uh, I wish I wish I could say I was picking it because it was completely removed from the reality we see now, and there, there's no way the world can ever end up like this fantastical wonderland. But actually, the movie I'm picking, uh, we seem to be barreling towards it, and that would be Children of Men. Um, that, that, that film stuck with me the first time I saw it. I couldn't quit thinking of it for days or maybe weeks later. And I don't revisit it often because it's kind of a heavy watch, but they're the world that they paint with, with few words, with describe, with, with doing a lot of showing, not telling is so vivid. And it helps that it's directed by Alfonso Cuaron, who has a uh, the cinematography in it is just spellbinding. And uh, the storyline to sum it up, uh, the year 2027, and for the last 20 years, humans haven't been able to have kids, and there's there's barely any there's humans left, and uh, illegal immigrants are trying to get in the United Kingdom, and the the, the government there is imp- imposing is really restrictive. Uh, immigration laws on the refugees, which we're seeing every day at the uh, the border here in America and Mexico. And uh, Five Element basically, he's a guy that's just trying to help a refugee rep- refugee get out of the, uh, the the country. And that's about it. And it still it tells a small story in a bigger world. And the the last twenty minutes or so have a lot of unbroken shots that are incredibly intense and keep moving from one place to the next. And it's unlike, uh, it's, my, my eyes are riveted. I, I remember the first time seeing it, I remember just, I couldn't look away from the screen and I can just, it, it stuck with me to this day. And that was, that was, I don't know, uh, 2006. So that's it, Children of Men. That's a great movie. I, I really enjoy that movie. Michael Caine, Julianne Moore, and of course, Clive Owen. That was kind of at the height of his uh, popularity in film. And uh, that one scene I think that you're talking about, the unbroken shots when they're in the in the car, and it it's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable feat of what they did to execute that shot, where I mean, it's going like 360 in the car, and you see all of this uh, these these this group um, circling I and mean, ready to attack, and there's so much action being being taken place when it looks like it's just one long continuous shot. It's unreal. I mean, it, it's. It, that that movie is a masterpiece. It's very good. Yeah, I thought for sure. Well, first of all, I thought Mark's number one was going to be the Postman. Um, <laughs> it was between that and Waterworld, and they just cancel each other out. Yeah, it's true. But I yeah, thought only, only no joke. Of- no joke, though. I thought Steve's was going to be the Road. I, I thought the Road, or I thought Mad Max was going to be indefinitely oh, yeah. Steve's. Yeah, yeah. You know what's hilarious is I didn't even like the Road wasn't even in contention until you mentioned it, and I'm like, oh yeah, that definitely. That movie came out around the same time as this one. Uh, I, I think I had the same attitude then that I do now about the world that it, it portrays. Uh, yeah, the world. I mean, the road is that uh, John Hillcoat. Any anybody? Isn't that John Hillcoat? 
It is. I think that's yeah. the gentleman that, I mean, Nick Cave did the, the score yeah. for it. Yeah. 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 And uh, the, the, do you carry the fire? Yeah, that's a good one. That book is something, man. I think I like the book a little more than the film, though. I think the book uh, is a little more heart-wrenching for whatever. I'm not a big Cormac McCarthy guy, um, but uh, that that writing more stuck with me than I think the movie did. I almost watched No Country for Old Men again yesterday. That's a good one, too. All right. That was our top five dystopias. Setting the stage for Diamond Dogs. Yes, now we'll we'll see you here next week in Hunger City. That's right. So this has been Mark. This is Steven. Eric. Oh, Eric. And we will see you next week when we talk about Diamond Dogs. We hope we brought you closer to Pod. Hear that, Mr. Anderson? That is the sound of inevitability. It is the sound of your death. Goodbye, Mr. Anderson. Is Neil?